give you thanks for these things. And I particularly am thankful that I uh, get to be with this particular group of saints and the blessing that they are to me. I pray, Father, that you would use this class for your glory and that you would help us to understand truth better and better and it would penetrate into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so eighth commandment, thou shall not steal. Yes, they are in back. Jim will grab you one or... And we probably, I don't know how long this is going to take. Are we good now? Sounds better? Yep. Uh, But I do, particularly on uh, stealing and lying, uh, I've been particularly blessed by some of the um, uh, detailed articulations of stealing and lying that are in the larger catechism. So we will look at some of that language here in just a a little bit. Um, Martin Luther said... If we look at mankind in all its conditions, it is nothing but a vast, wide, stable, full of great thieves. (laughs) So, and I think he was probably not just thinking of thieves in terms of stealing, but probably breaking all the commandments. But but it is particularly uh, uh, apropos to, to think of, we all have broken this commandment to not steal. Uh, stealing, uh, there's lots of different ways to look at stealing, uh, but one of those is it is a lack of faith. Because when you steal, you're, you're not trusting in God's provision for you as your heavenly father. It is also, that doesn't work. It is also a lack of love. All the commandments are a lack of, when you break them, are a lack of love. But in this one, um, you have taken from somebody else uh, something that belongs to them, and therefore you're not actually loving them. You're not actually caring for them. In some way, you're acting selfish. It's also true that the Eighth Commandment assumes private property. And this brings one of the tensions. I love tensions. I don't know if I'll ever write a book on this, but if I could, this would be one. Uh, It's the tension between you own something and 
God owns what you own. That's the tension. Uh, Someone has to own it before you can steal it. That makes sense. It's just it's a it's an implied assumption. Private property is an implied assumption. God owns everything, so even what you own, God owns. Okay, and sometimes we talk about stewardship, but the the idea of God's owning everything is not to uh, truly do away with private ownership, but it is to tell us. That God has a, it's his right to tell us what we should do with our property. That makes sense? So he has the right to do that. So on this, on this, this tension, you and I have a relative and a limited right to do with what we own what we want. And another person does not have a right to, to impinge upon what they choose to do with their, with their property. Um, uh, in one example, let me give you, I'll give you one of, of my father-in-law. We were talking about... Um, he was wanting to give us a gift, and I was wanting to to do something with that gift that he wasn't comfortable with. And then, and so at the end of the day, I, I just had to tell him, you don't have to give it to us. It's okay. We don't, we don't deserve what you have. It's yours. If you don't feel comfortable giving it to us, it will not make me less love you or think that, you know, think bad thoughts of you. Uh, obviously, he's been generous to us countless times throughout the years, but it was just on this one particular issue. And, and, but, I think it was a, a biblical um, uh, understanding of private ownership that just said, that even though I'm his son-in-law and Robin's his daughter, we don't have the right to his money. It's his. It's his money. Now, he may give it to us in inheritance or give it to us freely in other ways, but it's his. And, that's, and, and I'm not to judge how he handles his money, right? So, so there's this private ownership, and I don't have a right to, to do that, but God does have a right, and this is the thing, like we all will have to stand before God and give an account for how we have handled our money, our possessions, our time, our talents, and, and so in scripture, you'll see things where, where the scripture will, will actually judge people who have been greedy and selfish and, and all those kind of things, It'll, it, he'll, he'll do that, but it's not necessarily that we have a right to judge that other person. That's between them and God. And that's the tension that I think we need to have. You, you may not have the, the right to the wealth of somebody else, but God has the right to tell them how he wants them to use their wealth. That's the tension. Any questions or comments on that before we get going? I think that's a very important tension when it comes to stealing. Yes, Lee? Uh, microphone? Uh, uh, this sounds like it's going to be a great question or a great comment, so. <laughs> this is one of those commandments where the biblical worldview or lack of biblical worldview of the owners 
really makes a huge difference mm -hmm. in how a society works. Mm -hmm. Because if you are stewarding mm -hmm. what you've been given, it's one thing. If you are hoarding mm -hmm. what's been given, it's another. And so your understanding of what God's favor and his love and his generosity toward you makes a huge difference. I think that's correct. Um, go ahead, Lori. It just, <clears throat> I was thinking about the um, Bible story of uh, is it Ananias and Sapphira. Mm -hmm. We'll look where, at that today. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Okay. Well, no, go ahead. No. I, it just made me think, you know, that they had, and I think, um, is it Paul that tells the story that they had, uh, what they had was theirs to offer to God, mm -hmm. but the fact that they lied about it and they could have not given it, mm -hmm. and maybe God would have judged their heart for for that, knowing they had the means, but it is sort in some ways up to you to be mm -hmm. obedient and generous or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's well said, and we will look at that that section. So, any other comments or questions? Just on this this uh, tension that's there. Um, as I have, uh, I actually have more now than I ever had. Uh, terms of trying to be generous with things. Most of my life, I just haven't had much. So just uh, the only thing I could give was time and that, that kind of stuff to others. But, um, but I have grown to have immense respect for those who have things and, not, and don't let those things just determine who they are as a person. They, they, they are generous. They're kind. They're, and because it's not easy when you have things to, to, to steward them well. That's a, you know, so uh, I think actually God does want some people to have more wealth than other people. Uh, I think I'm one of those people that probably should not have a whole lot of wealth. Um, Luther's uh, wife had to check him because uh, he would like give everything away. And I think sometimes my wife's like, you can't give everything. So, um, so I understand that a little bit. Um, so, just that that's, God does give some people in the church more wealth than others. We're not supposed to all be equal. And that brings us to the Acts 2. Uh, a lot of times Acts 2 is spoken of as an as a, uh, idea of communism. Uh, and we can just look there real quick. Acts 2. at the end of the chapter. And surely Acts 2, uh, beginning in verse, verse 42, is a, it's set forth as an ideal. Um, and so it is good for us to uh, think about uh, the ideals that are laid forth here. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So that's a great ideal, right? Everybody would be devoted to the, the teaching that is being given, uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That's usually the verse. 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, and so, the uh, why do we say that 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 wasn't straight communal living? One of the reasons we say that is because of Ananias and Sapphira, which comes shortly after that. That. If everyone had given all their money and there was no private property, then Ananias, the story of Ananias and Sapphira couldn't even have existed, right? So this is, a, this is an ideal expression. People are voluntarily being extremely generous with what they have uh, during a time where some people have lost everything due to um, just uh, probably distancing from families if you're leaving the Jewish faith, um, all sorts of problems are happening where people have great needs, and so the church is providing for those. And I think that's a very good standard. But at the same time, to say that it, it uh, overturns all private property just goes too far. So, <clears throat> How would you define stealing? Can somebody give me a definition of stealing? Taking what's not yours. Um, and I'm going to put it another way. Uh, that's probably the better way. Hers is. <laughs> but I'm going to... Taking what you have not worked for. Or has been given to you. Right? By someone who has worked for it. Um, there are, I think, maybe more. But uh, there are three means by which we increase what we have. Uh, one is through an inheritance, right? You can, you can increase your wealth greatly through an inheritance. First um, Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Well, who, who worked for your inheritance? Christ alone, right? So the very, the very giving of salvation is, is something that you don't earn, something you don't get just by working for it. And so um, we want to, we believe in the, the giving of an inheritance. Um, and uh, Uncle Sam thinks that they deserve a portion of that inheritance, right? The inheritance tax is usually a pretty strong tax that occurs. But, but it is good to leave an inheritance to your children because that's, in a sense, a, a paralleling or a modeling what Christ has done for us. He has worked hard, and he has been able to impart blessing of an inheritance to us uh, because of what he has done. And so that's one way to gain your wealth. The other is gifts of generosity, right? There's nothing wrong with receiving gifts from somebody else who's worked for them. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, but probably the, the one that we need to focus on the most is that we need to actually work. And this, is, this comes right back to Genesis where God has created man to work. This is a part of who we are. I, I, um, I believe that if you... Uh, well, let's step back a little bit. Uh, through many years of our church being generous and trying to give to people in need, um, sometimes that backfires when you don't at the same time 
strongly encourage the individuals to do as much as they can because they need to have the dignity of fulfilling God's purpose for them to work in order to to do as much as they're able. And so work is is God's appointed means uh, for us. And I would argue that even if you are independently wealthy through an inheritance, through other gifts, through previous hard work, you're still, it's still incumbent upon you to work. That's a part of who we are. God wants us to continue to, to be uh, productive in our, throughout our lives in one way or another. Now, there's different ways to be productive. I think Jenny's productive to us in, in many ways that most of us aren't. She brings a lot of joy. Uh, you know, I go to the grocery store, and I can't tell you the number of people that are happy to see Jenny. So there's, you know, there's different benefits than just physical working. But the idea is the Bible sets forth this, this idea of work uh, that we, we've in some way lost in our country. Um, we used to be founded on the American Protestant work ethic, and that is something that has been eroded over time. You can almost see it. Uh, a lot of the Hispanics that come into our country are very hardworking, but watch, watch a generation or two when, <laughs> and see if, see if they're still as hardworking as they were when they first got here. I mean, there's something that, that we are teaching uh, people away from the necessity of hard work. So let's just look at a few verses. Ephesians 4.28. Ephesians 4.28. And, and we'll go rather quickly through these different verses, but they all help us to see just this, how important work is to the Christian uh, living out of your faith. So Ephesians 4.28. Uh, let's have Erica read that for me. Let, let's see, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, um, well, just tell me, what are, the, what are the quick bullet points of that passage, that verse? One, just don't steal, Okay. Work so you can share. See, it actually, it, it's like the dignity, this is what I'm getting at, the dignity of is if you can work for something and then be able to share with someone in need, that is, that's like just a beautiful, wonderful, God-like attitude. I mean, that's what he did, right? He worked hard and then he gave to someone in need uh, in our salvation and so we want to have that attitude. Go ahead. I think there's a implication there that you teach people to work hard by teaching them to be generous. I remember when I was a child and there was a guy that he may live in picking up pecans before they even had fancy pecan things. <laughs> and uh, a, f- a few friends of mine and I gave him, and we were 12, 13 years old, gave him a Christmas tree, took some ornaments for each of our trees, and were generous to him. And it makes you, I think, want to work hard so that you can be generous because there's such a great feeling from helping people. Right, and, and it, it, it's so important, you're, Jim, you're right, to, to include in the, the motivation for hard work to, to be able to bless other people. Instead of just, oh, I can get more things, I can take care of myself, I can hoard, as, as Lee talked about, my wealth so that I can do whatever I want to do, to think about how you could be a blessing to other people. Um, is a, that, that's, 
That's a good motivation. Peter wants to make a comment. There's a clarification there. It talks about work, but it clarifies that it's honest work. Yeah. Because one could say, you know, I steal all day and it's hard work. <laughs> it is hard nice to be a good criminal. <laughs> That's really, really well said. Um, and I want to stress another thing. Um, Ken wants to make a comment, so bring that up to him. Um, some people are able to work enough that they have some extra and then can be generous to others. Some of us, uh, due to the job that we have, which is not necessarily a bad thing, really just struggle to make ends meet. Or maybe even feel like you're working really hard and you're still not making ends meet, right? So that can occur. But I would argue that, that simply by working hard, you are making yourself as little of a burden as you possibly can. Does that make sense? So you're so just wherever you are, you may not have like really got to the point where you have enough excess to help other people, but just the working is hard. God determines how much blessing you have to be able to share with other people. And and just having that attitude that you want to be a blessing to other people, you don't want to be a burden on other people. We all are at times. We all have needs, and it's not always financial. Sometimes it's other types of needs, but we all have needs, and it's not wrong to have those needs. The principle is to work hard with a motivation to want to get ahead if you can. Go ahead, Ken. To go back to the issue of dignity, uh, like in the Old Testament when they had the gleaning as opposed to government welfare, Mm -hmm. and how that changes people and how that gives them dignity as opposed to just handing everything to them. Right, so he, ha- he talked about that if you're poor, the whole story of Ruth, where, you, where uh, if the people who own the fields were to leave a little bit, uh, not, to, not to harvest them so uh, perfectly that they didn't have any left, but there'd be enough there that the poor would be able to walk through the fields and actually to, uh, to get some of that. So there's this enough of that dignity that you're actually working in some way to do, uh, to do, um, to bear your burdens as much as you can yourself. All right, so turn to first or Galatians six two through five. Galatians six two through five. I love the, yeah. You're going to find out. I love passages that that like give you the tension. Because I think scripture has tensions, right? It's just the way it is. So Galatians 6, 2 through 5. Uh, Kyle, you want to read for me? Uh, Bear one another's burdens for, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, so, yeah, you can leave off the end of that. Um, Not scripturally, you don't want to leave it off. But in terms of our context today, it's not about necessarily paying your your teacher. Um, But look look there. So you have in verse 2, what are you supposed to bear? 
one another's burdens. And then in verse 5, what are you supposed to bear? Your own. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> so you're supposed to bear everyone's burdens, and you're supposed to bear your own burden. And uh, I've studied this in the past, and like the first burdens are like big burdens that you can't bear by yourself, and then the small, the second one is like a backpack that you're putting on. It's a, it's a smaller burden. So you're supposed to do what you can, you know, with the strength that God's given you to serve, and you're also supposed to be generous with the flock. And then I love the way that um, people should not deceive themselves. And just think about in the context of helping one another, see how you could deceive yourself. Oh, I'm so great because I have this ability to give to somebody else and somebody else, you know, needs me. And he says, oh, no, no, that's not the way you need to think about it. You don't think about yourself in comparison to the person that has the need. You think about yourself in comparison with yourself. So at the end of the day, it's not how much you've done um, in comparison with others, but have you... In, according to your own standard, have you used the gifts that God's given you, the time that he's given you, and tried to, to work hard to be able to be a blessing to others? But if you have the ability to give to one and someone else, do not think that you're better than they are. That's not the issue. That's right. Not in that way. <laughs> That's right. Um, you've, been, you've been blessed to be able to be, able to be a, a blessing to other people. Uh, anyway, that, that Galatians passage has, has helped me in every area of life. Say you've got two students in your, your family. One of them is, a, is like a really, really good mathematical student and another's not. They're struggling with it. Um, this is a lesson I learned from my mom and then when I read it in scripture, I was like, oh, that makes completely sense. Uh, I was a very good book learning student. My brother was not. My mom knew that. She was happy when my brother came home with C's, she was mad at me when I came home with B's. Because she knew what, that I was coming home with B's because I was being lazy, not because I couldn't get the A. And that's been true most of my life. Um, so that, that being said, I just I appreciate my mom. She knew enough to, to try to look at us as individuals. And I think that's the way God looks at us. He doesn't just say, oh, you... You got more money than the next person, or you know, you've got you're able to play basketball better than the next person, or you're able to do our work better than the next person. He doesn't look at us in comparison. He looks at us as ourselves. And I think the text says, "Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone." How have you been striving against your flesh in order to do what God wants you to do? That's where you should be uh, focused, not on just comparison to other people. So, that makes sense. Uh, Kyle? So, you know, backstory on Jessica and I, we, we worked in ministry. We were missionaries. We have uh, raised support, and mm-hmm. by God's grace, we now support others. Right. One of the things I can say about this is that the ability for people to give financially or, or with their time is a way to participate within God's work. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we... We were never fortunate to have the uh, the big donor with one check, and we never had to do. Most of it came from small little old ladies who we loved dearly who gave $10 a month. Yeah, I know. And you say, my gosh, I'm taking $10 a month from a lady who has Social Security who we've helped fix their house and pay their bills when we weren't doing this. But that was their way of being able to participate in God's work all the way across the other side of the world. And 
Um, just sitting here thinking, you know, Matthew twenty twenty eight talks, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's our opportunity and, and guidance is he, son of God came here and he wasn't asking for anything, mm-hmm. worked and, and everything else. And that's the ultimate example we can follow. That's wonderful. Well said. Um, yeah, I'm not going to make that comment. <laughs> okay, First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Let's let Tanner read. Four, nine through 12. Yeah. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Okay, I made you read uh, verse 9 because I wanted you to see that the instructions of verse uh, 11 and 12 are really connected with love, right? It's about brotherly love. Working hard is not just working hard just to work hard. You are working in order to love. That's, that's, the, that's the point. And the idea of wanting to be dependent on no one should be a, a means of love, right? It's not just, oh, I can just feel great about myself. I depend on no one and, and it's all about me. But that's connected to love and love of your neighbor. So, um, so the, does this mean that we should never be dependent on anyone else? Sometimes in America, that's been our heritage, right? Uh, self-made, I don't depend on anybody. Um, it can't be, because we just read in, in Galatians, we need to bear each other's burdens, right? So if, if you know, but this gives you an, a, a goal that you're striving for. You want to, to if as much as you possibly can to meet your own needs and not simply be dependent on others. So you think about our current welfare system, and I I think there's all kinds of very difficult aspects of our welfare system. I'm thankful for it in some regards, but, but it has to also be taught in a way that says you want to do as much as you can, and it, it can be tricky sometimes because if you work hard and you do try to get a little bit ahead, the system is set up that you then lose all the help that they're giving you as soon as you get a little bit ahead, but it's not enough to stay ahead, and then you fall back into welfare, and it's just kind of this, this system that occurs. But we have to be instructing people in the, the, the dignity and the beauty of trying to be independent. Uh, that's something that we should be trying to encourage uh, and, and I love the other aspects, just to, to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, uh, just, just do what you're called to do in a nice, quiet way, and, and uh, don't, um, uh, I, I take it, don't be so consumed with all the problems of the internet and all the problems of the world. Not that you shouldn't ever be involved in that, scripture balances that as well, but just, just work hard, do what God has called you to do on a regular basis. Yes, Laura? So I just see a contrast between the first um, 
scripture that we read that was, um, it was descriptive. So it was saying that everyone had everything in common. And the rest of these are prescriptive. Mm-hmm. So they're telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. So bear one, another bur- one another's burdens. Don't steal. Um, work with your hands. So I guess... I guess it's a big deal to contrast those two things so that we're not saying the Bible says do you live with all things in common. No, it says that's how that these people lived, but it does tell us to do other things. Well, uh, again, John Frame has been extremely helpful. He's got his book called The Law of God. It's, it's a huge, it's massive, but if you ever want to just, it's very easy to read, it's not hard to read, and he thinks about all these things uh, in ways that just, helped expand my thinking a lot of our our what you hear in our media and in kind of the world is that we want to eliminate poverty um and that's like what you you know what you've heard but the problem is um well, number one the bible says you're not ever going to eliminate poverty but um this is this is a new kingdom of God idea that there would be no poverty, right? New heavens, new earth, there's not going to be poverty, uh, homelessness, those kind of things. We all have our mansion. But it's taking a new kingdom priority and it's put it on uh, those, a mixed community of uh, believers and unbelievers. And and often God will actually use poverty to bring someone to Christ. So there's there's means for that, right? So and some of it's due to your sin, you know, and different things. Not all of it. I'm not don't say, take me push me too far. But John Frame says that we probably should should think in terms of no abject poverty in the church. And I like that. That there should we should not like we come here today and and Barry's homeless. We shouldn't, that shouldn't happen in the church. He says that's, that's a more doable issue, right? That we should be taking care of our own. I think that's the lesson of Acts 2, is that there were people that were losing their homes and struggling, but the church was providing for them. And they weren't just necessarily eliminating all poverty in the world, but they were trying to make sure that a fellow believer is not starving, and so that, you know, you, you can go, like, local. You can apply this locally. You can apply it more globally, you know, bigger uh, and bigger. And it does, um, I think the church has a responsibility to keep working outward, right? And I do think we should have a responsibility to try to alleviate some poverty in the unbelieving world as well. But I think just in terms of not having any, uh, it, it's much better to just think in terms of those who are in the church, so... Uh, thankful to frame for that distinction. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. There you go. That, very good. Just take that mic right to the next person. Good. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Yeah. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. Uh, They are to do good, um, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay, so a lot of the same principles, but this, this one adds, I believe, that here you are, he, he, he speaks of the rich, and he says that it's right for you, Timothy, to challenge the rich to be generous. But it's very instructive what he does not challenge, or what he does not do. And that, it, that says, you do not have a right to force the rich to be generous. See the difference between that? You have a right to to bring them before the throne of God and say to them, you should be generous, right? Charge them, don't be arrogant. Set their hopes not on your riches, set them on Christ. Um, You know, all those kind of things, okay? He, he He does there, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Uh, One of the the larger catechism will will actually call it a sin, and and I don't know if I would go that far, but it it is, I think it is sinful, as long as you're out there on the edge of the circle, to not enjoy what God's given you. (laughs) That's That's pretty profound. You know, to have something and not enjoy it is like if I gave a gift to uh, to John and he he was too ashamed to actually enjoy the gift. He he wanted to enjoy it, but he felt like he couldn't enjoy it, and so he didn't enjoy it. That's actually a cut on me, right? Because I gave it to you to enjoy, and that's that. I thought that was kind of neat in there. But anyway, um, but he doesn't actually force them. I remember uh, talking to one of my uh, friends from Wright State. He was uh, frustrated that the church wasn't giving, uh, not anything like our church. I think our church is extremely generous. Has, I've always felt that way. But, but he was dealing with the struggle of, of um, church members not regularly giving. You want to know his solution? He was, he was definitely a much more uh, liberally-minded idea. He says, in the church... When they become a member, you have a, they give you a right to their bank account to take a certain amount from them. That was his solution. I said, David, don't do that. <laughs> I don't know if they ever did or not. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I do know that in Old Testament Israel there was taxation, but you have to remember that Old Testament Israel was not just church but it was church and state together. And so there was, there was taxation for that. And I think that's where we have the, in our own day, the state does have some right to have taxation, and that's not a, Jesus affirms the right to be taxed on some level. Um, but I don't think the church has a right to tax. <laughs> so, go ahead, Christian. Uh, we go too far. Uh, you should find out where that guy is at right now I'd like to see how his life is anyway yeah. um, <laughs> probably independently wealthy <laughs> he was not the pastor he was just a like an elder in the church so <laughs> um, so 
just right before we start do, uh, talking about this, you talked about the how the church is responsible in, in a way to take care of our folks that our members in our church. Uh-huh. Like, uh, how, how, how much are we entitled to uh, do the same thing in, in, in our families? Um, so, like, you know, family members that are not church members, but, you know, in a way, like, this doesn't happen in this church, but I've seen it in other places where, you know, we just dump the family and really don't care about it. And someone might have a lot of uh, money and, and resources and stuff. And, of course, it's theirs. You're not going to make them do whatever they don't want to do. But in a way, you know, you should encourage them and say, hey, man, before anybody takes care of your brother or your mom or your dad or family members that are struggling, like, you should take care of that before they do. Right, so the you, the Bible, again, teaches that if you don't take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that's the, the wording, so you should sense, try to care. Family members have a responsibility to do that. Um, at the same time, I love, I think it, where did I hear this? It must have been a sermon I just recently heard or something, where, um, uh, Oh, I know, it wasn't that. It was talking to mom and dad, and they were talking about Charles Barkley. And if you guys don't know who Charles Barkley is, he's a basketball player. He's obviously a strong Christian. No, I'm not saying that. Um, but Charles Barkley does tell it like it is sometimes, right? And, and so, um, you know, Barkley has wealth. There's no doubt about it. He's a wealthy man. And his kids were uh, starting to um, be lazy and be kind of arrogant in their wealth. And uh, he says, one of his kids said to him, we're rich. He says, no, 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 we are not rich. I am rich. (laughs) You are not rich. (laughs) And so I thought that was well said, right? I mean, there is a sense that, again, the same principle, you could have people in your family that don't want to work. And you could see where the wealthy, the one who controls that money uh, could, in a sense, hold back some of that because the person is unwilling to work. So you got to have that tension again, right? So you don't just say, well, they've got a wealthy family. How come they're not taken care of? There's all kinds of situational uh, and, and heart issues that you have to take into consideration. But in general, the family should, you should look out for your family as much as you can. So I was... <clears throat> always impressed that my um dad worked very hard he he did not have a very big income but he had a civil service job he did uh air force reserves mm-hmm. once a month and when we were young the, the three kids he uh would work some weekends at a gas station and he saved and saved because he wanted to make sure my mom was cared for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that money will run out. We've hopefully stored it well, and <laughs> it's not. But he wasn't an investor. He just saved. He was very simple. Grew up in the Depression. Mm-hmm. But I, it just admired me that, you know, toward the end when he knew he was slipping, his greatest concern was that we would shepherd that money and take care of her mm-hmm. and I, I think that's part of the good stewardship of you know taking care of your family and even looking to your own future like 
we'll be old one day. Do we want to be a burden on our children, mm -hmm. you know? And, and you can see in the midst of all this how, how it comes back to this norm, heart, and situation. And it is, it is hard. So how much do you need to, to provide for the security of the future? Combine that with there are present needs today, right? So like, uh, it's like how do, you, how do you work that out? Each individual has to wrestle with how they handle what God has given to them. A prayer, right? And, and, and pleading with God and saying, you know, I remember talking about this with my son, Michael, and he's, he's like wrestling, but dad, I could get this job and I could make a whole lot more money and I'd have a lot more security or I could do this. And, you know, I said, Michael, I can't tell you what career to take. You have to wrestle with this with God. You've got to figure it out yourself. And I think that's what we want to encourage in the Bible, and that's why we can't just make these carte blanche rules. Everybody's got to give 20%, or if you make this much money, now you've got to give 30%, and you just can't do that in the church. So uh, states can do it, and they will do it. <laughs> um, I don't want to go into a, a huge discussion of, of politics on this, but I do want to see that you can have individual theft and you can have, um, I'll call it corporate or just uh, community uh, theft. So let's say you have 10 people in a community and those, those 10 people come together and they, they vote on whether or not they are going to uh, have everyone pay uh, 5% in order to uh, improve the roads, right? So they, so they all vote upon that, and they all give 5%, or maybe they all give $10. Doesn't, you, know, you can have the way you want to do it. doesn't really matter, but they're all voting on that. And let's say that eight of them say that they uh, are for it and two say that they're not. Well, <laughs> so, they, so they, make the, they make this and these two people, maybe they live on the outskirts of the town and they're, you know, they don't really see as much of a need for it or whatever, but, but they're willing to pay it because they want to live in the community in which they live, okay? And if they wanted to leave the community, they could leave that community, right, and go somewhere else. And so I think that this is, this is how societies run. Um, but, and I'm just going to make a strong contrast. There's a lot in the middle here. Um, but if you change the game, you still have the 10 people voting, but you, you are not improving the roads. You're improving, uh, this is just, uh, a sports complex, okay. Um, and... And uh, same 10 people vote, but uh, it's again 8 to 2, okay, in the voting. But all of the payment, the actual payment, let's say $100, comes from these two. And they didn't even vote for it. Do you see that? So, like, if, if, 
if the, if the majority, this is Civics 101, if the majority figures out that these guys can take money from those, we're in trouble. <laughs> and that is corporate greed and stealing. It's community stealing. Uh, when our, and, and again, um, you can get all kinds of trouble <laughs> even thinking about this kind of stuff, but, but our government at some point determines when to print money, right? They have to do that. They have to print money at certain times and certain amounts. It used to be on a gold standard. It's not anymore, and I don't know all the ins and outs of this, but if I were to print money, what would happen to me? I'd go to jail. Why? Well, I don't have the authority, but what? It's still, what happens if this is the current amount of money, and here's little Mike, and he prints his money, and he puts it into here, what happens to this money? That money is worth less. Okay? So that's why it's wrong. Otherwise, it wouldn't be wrong to print money. Why well, just print more money? <laughs> So it's the reason why, like, you could go dig gold and you wouldn't be devaluing the currency because you're finding something of worth, right? But so if I do this, but if the government does this, and I'm not saying that it's absolutely wrong for the government to ever, I don't know enough about this to know that, but I do know this, that when the government prints money, it's devaluing the money that's already here. So those who have money... Their money is now worth less. And then those who have debts, their debts are shrunk, even if they haven't paid down $1 of their debt. Because the value of the currency is less, so the debt is diminished. So there's, this is, government... Yeah, that's true. So I'm just telling you that um, we need to help people understand, and I don't think most people do, that um, at least when you got your COVID checks, and I took my COVID check, uh, you need to know that part of the inflation that we're experiencing today is because of those checks, and both parties did it, right? And I'm not saying it's absolutely wrong for them to do that. I'm just saying you have to understand the economics of what's happening. And the real losers are those who actually have some wealth. Because the value of their wealth has gone down. The buying power of their wealth has gone down. And it's, it's another form of, maybe on the outside of the circle, may not be the center, but it is a wealth of stealing. And this is why I think the, uh, in Scripture, God tells them to be careful. Thank you. God tells them to be careful with kings. Because kings tend to want to take more things to increase their kingdom. And therefore, they will increasingly add more to that. So, okay. Enough of those things. Uh, I I do think that uh, this kind of economics is not taught in schools. That's why most people in our society are more okay, young people, with communism than a generation ago. Um, There's no, it's like, and it's as if the government should just take care of me. You know, I think that's not, 
Are, am I thankful at times for things? Yes, I am. I, I get help for, with Jenny, you know. So, um, but we have to be very careful on what we do. And uh, one last, I, I know. So if in our family we have five people, well, actually we're down to three now, but we had five, and Jenny doesn't contribute to the income of our family. She contributes other ways, but she doesn't contribute to the income of our family. So we had four people working to take care of five. And I would tell my kids when they were young, when they didn't want to do chores and they didn't want to work, I'd say, all we need is one of you to quit doing their fair share, right? And then now we're down to three people taking care of five. And you know how much harder work it is on those three. And then if you got one more, now you're down to two taking care of five. Eventually it doesn't work. We have been a very wealthy country, so we have been able to actually use the wealth to care for other people. But just know that somewhere the tipping scale is going to occur, and it's going to be a bad day when that happens. Um, so I'm actually very thankful for our Hispanics that come into our country, not necessarily legally, but, um, but I, I think they'd come a lot of times with a strong work ethic, and we need that. So anyway, Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Second Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Got that, Mr. Carico? Yes. Okay, good. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. A lot of things that we've already said, but it's so helpful to just see it in the text. Um, and understand, if anyone is not willing to work, an attitude of the heart. Some people cannot work nearly as much as others. Um, that's okay. A busy body is someone that is just kind of a gossiper, kind of goes around acting like they're doing things but not actually working hard. Um, and so he, he confronts that. He actually confronts the heart of sin without actually confronting the amount, right? Nowhere in scripture do you see exactly how much work, 40 hour a week, 30 hour a week, 60 hour a week, like what is the work? It doesn't say that, uh, but you are supposed to have an attitude of wanting to work. So uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 21 Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Gary's got that for me.
do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For there your treasure is, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, I like this one uh, because I think it is the best way to challenge someone to generosity. Uh, notice the, what I think is actually backwards in the text. And you explain to me why it is. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Why does Jesus have it the way he does? He's actually smarter than a... You cannot serve both mammon and man. Thank you, Lee. But I want you to catch this, that how you spend your time, how you spend your effort, what your focus is on, it affects your heart. It's not just your heart is here, therefore you're going to go for that. It could happen that way, uh, but it is, it is don't, don't uh, negate the fact that when you get a new, uh, uh, let's just say a, a boat, or how to use my pool house. When you get a new pool house, that puts it on me, right? You get a new pool house that you can swim in your pool. Don't negate the fact that that has the capacity to actually change your heart so that your focus is more on the things of this world. Just remember that. Okay, you have to, Jesus is telling you, and he, he's saying, be generous with the things of this world because that's the way that you let go of them. You're not so gripping of them to let go of the things that you have. Let others use them, you know, be generous because that's the way you become free from that which would otherwise enslave you. So that's a, I just, I love this text. It's just such a, a beautiful thing. So I'll give somebody else the last word and then we'll close. We're ready to end. Oh, Lee's got, uh, Leanne's got the last word here. We were not done. We will get into the uh, larger catechism and I got one other passage I'm going to take us through. So well, we can always talk about this next week yeah. too. But I just, sometimes I think about uh, that we as Christians need to be careful to be uh, good witnesses and, and not stealing intellectual property. You know, mm. Maybe it's as a librarian, I know there's copyrights on things and sometimes we'll make copies. I know I was guilty of this when I homeschooled sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, people make their living producing curriculum and all, and when you make copies, you're stealing. Or when you use somebody's Netflix login, mm-hmm. you're stealing, and they're, they lost a lot of money that way, and that kind of thing that I think we need to be really careful and man uh, now she's getting yeah yeah i'm close stepping to my on heart. toes here <laughs> <laughs> now you're thank you lynn makes me go to the service needing christ <laughs> that's excellent thank you very much uh father thank you for this time and i do appreciate uh the reading of the law because it is a mirror to our own hearts and uh, we are in need of Christ, and I just thank you for the, the perfection of Christ. I'm thankful that in our salvation, we do not steal. 
but Christ has been fully generous with what he has earned to give to us. And I just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.